0: Hey, nice to have you back at the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's get right to it. Chapter 101, Truchestani, Sicily, Italy. We were all gathered in the chapel. The final worshiper from morning mass finally finished praying and left the church. Archbishop Antonelli walked to each door and locked them. We were alone and had whatever time we needed to look for the remaining four badges. Antonelli told us he contacted the Mother Superior the night before, and she was anxious to meet us. He warned us that she was hesitant to allow us to search her cloister and wanted to meet and speak with us first. We decided to get to work, and we each unfolded our badge. We set them close together on the altar and watched as they energized and latched into their respective orbits. I closed my eyes. I could feel the warmth on my face and I breathed in deep. The air tasted fresh, like what blows out from one of those expensive ionizer air treatment things. It was energizing. Everyone stepped back and looked at me. I guess they all decided since the first badge found me, I should be the one who searched for the others. I had no idea what to do. Should I try and physically move the sphere around the room? Or just talk to it? Or what? I took a moment to focus my thoughts. In my mind, I saw the Carabinieri officers hiking up to the cave and being attacked by the shepherd. I saw the villagers bury their bodies and a young Father Antonelli taking the badges back to the church to hide. I thought about the badges now and where they could be hiding. Silently, I focused on our quest. We needed to find the badges so we could return them to the cave, and we needed to do it quickly before Chung and his men could interfere. Show me your pieces so we can make you whole, I whispered, feeling a little silly. To my am- amazement, it worked. I must have some serious skill. I looked over at the other three and smiled. Immediately, the orb stopped moving. Oops. I focused in again and followed the globe as it moved through the church. It was like moon spinning around an invisible planet as it made its long journey around the sun. First, the badges led me behind the altar to the richly or- ornamented wood, reredos. The carvings of cherubs blowing their horns framed the pipes of the church organ. The orb moved towards one of the cherubs and stopped there. I concentrated on the missing badge, willing it to join its companions. I saw the horn of the cherub start to tremble, then the wood cracked and parted at the base of the horn. A badge pushed through the wood grain like it was being expelled as a virus in the wood. The opening formed tightly to the body of the badge, and I could smell the scent of freshly split wood mixed with the dust of centuries. The last piece of the badge was spat out of the horn with an exhalation, and the wood closed back in on itself, repairing the grain as if it had never been disturbed. The badge joined its place in orbit, and the orb's glow brightened, one down, three more to go. The orb stayed in place until I could regain my focus. Then it led me through the choir to the crossing, where it turned right across the aisle and into the transept. Here were two doors with a painting on each panel, set into the wall above a stone altar, paintings depicted scenes from the life of a saint, which I later learned was San Nicolo di Bari. The orb stopped, and the two doors creaked open on their own to reveal a statue of the saint. His robes were gilded, and he sat holding a staff and miter with a large crucifix hanging about his neck. He had a blank expression on his face, and as I watched his mouth open to reveal a badge sitting atop a red tongue, the badge flew out and his mouth closed, his expression never changing. The remaining two took me to the confessional booth, and then up a narrow winding staircase to the bell tower. The bell rang, almost knocking me off of my feet as the final badge transformed itself out of the clapper of the bell. With the final badge collected from the church, I returned to the nave, where my friends were waiting. I closed my eyes, and in my mind directed the badges to de-energize, or separate, or whatever it was called. The energy was sucked out of the room, and a cold wind blew inward toward the orbs. They fell, clattering to the floor. Chapter 102. Linguelosa, Sicily, Italy. Carmela screeched to a halt in front of the Carabinieri station. Vincenzo, who had spent the night sleeping on a cot in the office, answered the doorbell and came out quickly to the sounds of Carmela's hysterics through the intercom. The passenger door to the car was open. Giuseppe was passed out in the passenger seat and blood oozed from a makeshift bandage on his leg. Vincenzo knelt and touched two fingers to Giuseppe's wrist to check for a pulse. It was there but very weak. His hand was cold and clammy. Vincenzo reached up to fill his forehead and quickly pulled his fingers away. He was burning up. Vincenzo pulled his mobile phone from his pocket and dialed the ambulance service. There was a clinic in Linguolosa, but the nearest trauma center was down the hill in Acireale. Giuseppe was going to need medical attention fast. Where's the other man? What's his name? Carmela fell into Vincenzo's arms, sobbing, exhausted, relieved, worried, and in shock. He, he he's he's dead and so Odio, oh, it was awful. Dead? What happened? Vincenzo struggled to understand Carmela's words between her gasps and sobs. He there was a crash, smashed and rolled cliff dead in car. They were in an accident? She nodded. And the car rolled down a cliff. Yes, see. Si, and he is in the car dead. She nodded and burst into sobs again. He held her close and rubbed her hair. Shh, it's okay, you did great. You saved Giuseppe's life. Vincenzo could feel her her tears soaking through his shirt, and he heard the wail of the ambulance as it turned the corner onto their street. The medics took one look at Giuseppe and went to work. One started an IV trip to get him some fluids and also provide some pain medication. They placed a neck brace on on and gently lifted him from the car to a stretcher. When they got him inside the ambulance, one of the men prepared the truck for transport while the other checked Carmela. is going into shock, the medic explained to Vincenzo. She needs rest. Put her feet up and keep her warm. Maybe give her something to help her sleep. She should feel better after a good sleep. Vincenzo nodded and instructed the medic to keep them informed on Giuseppe's status. The ambulance took off. Vincenzo helped Carmela into her car and drove her home. Mario walked outside when he saw the car pull up and he immediately helped Carmela out of the car and upstairs to her bed. Vincenzo explained to Mario what had happened and passed along the medic's medic's instructions. Vincenzo excused himself. He needed to brief the Marshalo on everything that had happened. They needed to send a team up the mountain to the scene of the accident. Chapter 103 Catania, Sicily, Italy Robert and Ashley waited at the baggage terminal for their luggage. The crowd thinned as the passengers, one by one, picked their luggage off the belt and exited the secure area. Three bags continued to run around and around with no one stepping forward to claim them. After everyone else was gone, they still hadn't seen hide nor hair of their bags. Robert walked to the portal where the bags magically appeared from the bowels of the airport and pulled back the hanging black flaps. The belt had stopped moving, yet he saw there, in the three meter space between the loading area and the baggage terminal, his bag stuck in between worlds. They couldn't wait for all the bags to make it out before they turned it off. He looked around to see if anyone was watching him, and he crawled onto the belt. He reached out and was able to touch his bag with the tip of his fingers. A little more, and he curled his fingers around the strap. He pulled in the bag inch closer until he could grasp the handle fully. He yanked the bag out and climbed off of the belt. He looked around again. No one had noticed. No one was paying any attention. "'Where's my bag?' Ashley pouted. "'Who knows? Mine was the only one stuck in there. Let's go to the counter over there and see.' They stood in line at the help desk. When it was their turn, a bored woman took their complaint and wrote down the flight information and description of the bag. She asked where they would be staying, and Robert fumbled in his carry-on to find the name of the hotel in Trakistani. He provided the attendant with the hotel name and phone, and she explained someone would call when the luggage arrived. They could come down and pick it up. Robert was surprised. You don't deliver the bags to us? The woman laughed and shook her head like he was crazy. All the airports in the States deliver lost luggage, he thought. Do you know where the bag is now?" The woman, without looking at or checking on the computer, replied, It is in Rome, and it should be here this evening. Robert didn't put too much weight in her answer. They would call the airport themselves, or rather Ashley would, since she spoke Italian. Getting their rental car was easy, and soon they were on the road to Trichostani. This was Robert's first time in Italy, and he tried to take in all of the sights and sounds. Everything was new and exciting—the old buildings, the tiny little smart cars, the men selling vegetables from the back of a truck. Mount Etna rose in the distance, the peak still snow-capped from the winter storms. Ashley drove up onto the freeway, and Robert rolled up his window. His eyes were tired, but he fought the drowsiness by reciting historical facts on Sicily to Ashley. She listened and concentrated on driving. It was a bit like sitting in a classroom lecture, but Italy was Ashley's passion, and she found it interesting. Sicily had an amazing history. It played a part in every Mediterranean civilization and had been conquered by them all. In the grand scheme of things, Sicily was actually a fairly new part of Italy and kept its own identity. Chapter 104, Truchestani, Sicily, Italy. We picked up the badges and wrapped each one in a piece of silk cloth Antonelli took from behind the altar. He went back into the library and retrieved the wooden box he showed us the night before. We stacked all of the badges inside the box and secured it. Antonelli at first put the key in his pocket, then paused and took it out. He handed it to me. I was surprised at first, but it made sense. I was the one the badges had chosen. I don't really know how else to describe it. As an extra precaution, we wrapped the box in my sweatshirt and placed it at the bottom of our backpack, repiling the rest of our gear on top. Well, it is time. Let us move on to the convent, Archbishop Antonelli said. We walked to the front door, and just before I reached out to grab the handle, Heinrich spoke. Wait! I froze we should make sure no one is outside watching us like those Chinese guys. Good point, Zyra agreed. Wait there. Henrik hurried over to the small door leading to the bell tower staircase. Five minutes later, when he returned, he reported there was a car parked down the block with what looked like two men inside. It was hard to tell with the sun's reflection bouncing off the windshield. Wow, that would have been bad, said Zyra. So what do we do? We all turned and looked at Antonelli. After a moment of thought, he motioned for us to follow him, and we walked down the nave. At the crossing, he bent down and pulled an iron ring from the stone floor. It was only then I realized the paintings on the floor actually covered a heavy wooden trap door. He pulled and nothing happened. I guess the door hadn't been opened in ages. I took a pen from my pocket and began to try and dig out the packed dirt from the seam between the door and the floor. Heinrich bent down to help Antonelli pull, and Zara started cleaning the seam on the other side. Heinrich and Antonelli grunted with effort. After a minute, they paused for a break. We had just about cleared the seams on each side and began to work on the opposite end. The two men stood up and reached down again for the ring. They bent at the knees, and on Heinrich's count, they both pulled upward, their teeth clenched and their legs pushing against the ground. There was a slight budge, and we redoubled our efforts to clear the door seam. Again, they counted, and this time I wedged myself in to help. With all three of us pulling, and with an awful screeching sound, the door opened. A dark staircase led down to what I assumed was the crypt. Heinrich held the door up and I swept the dirt we had dislodged into the hole. Sauer pulled a flashlight from the backpack and Antonelli said he had another in the kitchen. He returned with another light and fresh batteries. I started down the steps and cobwebs brushed my cheeks and clung to my clothing. The light from the church only reached a few steps down. The darkness at the bottom was thick with the smell of damp earth and decay. I heard dripping down the corridor and felt like I was in a movie. While we were all in when we were all in, Heinrich slowly pulled the door shut. A ring on the inside allowed him to close the door tightly. I switched on my flashlight and shone it down the path. The stone floor was damp and moss grew from the cracks and spread across the stones. In the walls were recesses with stone coffins. We started to walk down the corridor which was angled steeply down. Some of the recesses held just bones, with fragments of clothing still clinging stubbornly. A small pile of bones was scattered across the floor, and I saw a rat's nest built into an alcove. (coughs) Antonelli explained the crypt hadn't been used for at least fifty years, and doubted the current young priest even knew it existed. The floor evened out, and a hallway branched off from the main corridor. Bodies were stacked in in alcoves and on shelves down the hall. I shone my beam up and started to see bodies hanging, their arms crossed from the wall. Some were just skeletons, and others had dried skin stretched taut with tufts of hair poking out from beneath hats. It was crazy, interesting, and creepy all at the same time. This looks like pictures I have seen of a place in Palermo, I think, Zara said, fascinated. Yes, the Capuchin Catacombs in Palermo. They're a very popular tourist destination, but there are many other catacombs in Sicily. He seemed to disapprove of using the final resting place of hundreds of Sicilians as a tourist destination. Heinrich chimed in. Well, this place gives me the creeps. I want to just get out of here. Speaking of getting out, where does this tunnel lead, Father? To tell you the truth, I am not for sure. I heard when I was first assigned here that the tunnel leads up to the up the hill to underneath the convent. That side is where the women are buried. I looked around and for the first time realized he must be right. There were no women buried anywhere within view of my flashlight. The story goes that during the Norman invasion, the tunnel was actually used to transport weapons and food between the convent and the townspeople through the church. Other rumors, well, they are a bit more scandalous. Out of curiosity, I pulled the smartphone from my pocket and checked for a signal. Nope. Gradually, the bodies thinned out and the tunnel narrowed. It began a slight incline. My light fluttered and I hit it against the palm of my hand. The beam strengthened again and shone bright. After walking for another 200 meters or so, we came upon an iron gate. The end struck deep into the stone. I examined the gate with my light. It was secured by an ancient padlock, the key to which I assumed was long lost. I tapped on the metal and scraped it with a pocket knife Zara pulled from the backpack. The iron was pitted with rust, water running down the bars from the ceiling to the floor. I backed up, forcing everyone behind me to follow suit. I chose a spot near the latch that appeared to be rusted almost all the way through, and with an oof, I kicked the bar as hard as I could. I felt the bar give a little. I felt the vibration from the bar reverberate up through my le- feet and legs into my hips. I'm not gonna lie, it did not feel so good. Henrik pushed his way forward and, backed, and I backed out of his way. He took aim and kicked again at the same spot. I heard the squeal and saw the bar bend just a bit. We took turns kicking. The door pushed back straining against the rusted padlock. The final time I kicked was my left foot to give my right a break. As my foot connected with the iron, I heard a loud snap and my leg just kept going. I wasn't prepared for it, and the momentum carried my whole body forward. My left foot hit the ground but slipped on the wet surface and kept moving. I felt myself going into splits and I twisted my hips to change my momentum. I dro- dropped to my knee and felt a stab of pain as it hit the stone surface. I grimaced and fell to the side, catching myself against the wall. My legs felt like they had been stretched out of their sockets and unglued into place. I groaned as I tried to move them together, but decided to just wait. Are you okay? Zara knelt beside me. She turned me onto my back and I could feel the wet seep through my shirt. I went to my legs and slowly worked them back into place. Here, sit up. I did and felt my back stretch. I leaned down and breathed deeply. Can you stand? I nodded and she held my arm as I slowly put one leg under me, then the next. I knew I needed to keep moving so the stretched muscles wouldn't contract and make it impossible to walk. Slowly I stood, then bent over to stretch. I took a tentative step and found I could at least support my weight. Another step and I decided I was going to be okay. I moved slowly and with a slight limp, but I moved on my own. Heinrich picked up the fallen gate and leaned it against the wall so I wouldn't trip on it, and we moved forward into the women's catacombs. Chapter 105. Tricostani, Sicily, Italy. Sung looked impatiently at his watch. The last parishioners left the church over an hour ago, and there had been no movement since. Earlier that morning, he and his pal had gone to the piazza in front of the hotel to watch the front doors. After the botched break-in the night before, Sung was positive the American couple would make some sort of move that morning. They would either change hotels or walk out the front door and make random turns to try and shake a tail. Sung was prepared for this, but he was not prepared for nothing to happen. No one even closely resembling the American couple or their neighbor had come out of the hotel. After no action at the hotel, he decided to move the surveillance to the church, expecting the doors to be open and business as usual. Either that or he expected to see the American couple dodge into the church. Sung wiped his brow after sweat rolled into his eyes. It stung. Sung was in a foul mood and the heat was not helping. It felt like the windshield was magnifying the rays of the sun and focusing them directly on him. The car was on and the air conditioning was blowing, but it didn't like sitting still and the air was barely cool coming from the vents. Sung growled and swore under his breath in Chinese. Everything had gone wrong so far during this whole operation. The guys in California failed miserably, and he hadn't had any better luck. Sung glanced at his watch. It was only five minutes since the last time he checked. He hated the waiting. They had no idea what was going on in the church or if anyone was even there. He made a decision. Sung threw open the car door and stepped into the street. A breeze cooled the sweat on his back. Sung began walking deliberately towards the church, and his companion hurried after him. Sung first tried the front door. Locked. That was no surprise. He went around to the side of the church and tried the side door. It didn't seem to have a lock and he pushed inward. The door opened a crack and stopped, firmly stuck. Now Sung knew the priest and probably his American friends were there and up to something. He held the knob and crashed into the door with his shoulder. He felt the shooting pain arc through his arm. He was getting angry now. He crashed again into the door and felt it give. Ignored the pain and the noise, focused entirely on getting into the church. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. Once again, if you would like to read the ebook or support the author, you can purchase it at Amazon. There are two versions available the normal version and the teen version. It's the teen version that I am presenting here in the podcast and the only difference are I took out some of the cussing and toned down some of the scenes uh, even though the normal version is no more than a PG-13 anyway Um, so buy both and let your young adult readers read one while you read the other or whatever you'd like but I appreciate your support and I'll see you next time on the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast.